and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You are joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald, and hello, producer Annabelle Lee. Hello, guys. Hey, team. Coming up on today's show, the Met Gala, of course, and boy, is there a bunch of stuff to unpack. Plus, Britney Spears is engaged, some thoughts on reality shows that pre-film endings, and then the Olivia Munn, John Mulaney baby scandal that has all of Hollywood talking. But first, (laughs) that's what we want. But first, Michelle, how was your week? We should get some reactions on like the stuff that we say. We should have like, ooh, and like applause and laughter. Yeah, that should be your job, Annabelle. (laughs) Laughter all the time, please, Annabelle. How was my week? My week was very, very good. That said, it did have a low light. The Daily Mail wrote about our episode last week. They actually churned out a couple of articles. So Yeah, you're fucking welcome. (laughs) (laughs) They wrote an article entirely off the back of my comment that Nadia Bartel (laughs) should get a haircut. And it made me sound like the biggest idiot this world has ever seen. Like, I only read one or two lines because listeners kept sending us screenshots of this fucking article, but I literally couldn't even click in and read the whole thing because you know when you just want to die and you hate yourself? (laughs) That happened to me. Well, it was quite funny because I had a few friends message me because I think the funniest part of this article, as we posted on Instagram, is when the Daily Mail decided to fucking Photoshop Nadia a haircut (laughs) and gave her a Karen bob, and it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I had a few friends message me being like, lol, this is so funny. They obviously hadn't listened to the episode yet. So they were like, was Michelle taking the piss? And I had to be like, well, how do I respond to this and be like, a little bit? I literally said a little bit of both. But this is the Daily Mail and how they wrote about your comments. Ms. Andrews, who doesn't know Nadia personally, said... If I was her PR manager, I would be saying you need to symbolically communicate to your fans and the Australian public that that is a chapter that is closed and you are about to embark on a new one. She suggested that getting a new haircut should do the trick. All I was trying to say was that she can close one chapter and open another and there were a myriad of ways she could do that. The fact they referred to me as a PR expert in that piece as well made me feel... Teeny tiny. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bit silly because it's like, oh, my God, don't write about this podcast. We know shit all. Like, we literally know nothing. Also, I feel so sorry for genuine celebrities who have their, like, words turned into newspaper articles because when your words are given with a certain tone, seeing them in an article just makes you feel like the world's biggest idiot. Like, flattening it just makes me seem so dumb. It reminds me of the time. I don't know if I want to bring this up, but I'm already halfway there. When... (laughs) The Roxy Jacenko poo jogger story was a thing. And for those who don't remember that story, that was basically when Roxy Jacenko was using CCTV footage outside her house or her office or somewhere to catch someone that would continuously go to the bathroom outside. um, Not in the bathroom. Not in the bathroom after going for a run. And we covered that story. And I think we got a DM from someone saying, hey, guys, just before you cover this story, just be careful on how you cover it because the poo jogger's not doing entirely well. Yeah, the poo jogger's my friend. I know for a fact she is struggling right now. There's some stuff going on behind the scenes. So we just repeated that as, guys, the poo (laughs) jogger's struggling. Yeah, which is not funny. Like that's obviously not what we're laughing at. But then every fucking news article that ever came up about the poo jogger had us as experts on on the fucking story. We are putting 
unwittingly mortified. We unwittingly became like the face of the media coverage of the purge. <laughs> it was like I was getting a Google alert every time people were writing about that story. And people were writing about that story all along. Alert to news publications. Don't quote us. We don't know shit. Yeah, everything said on this podcast is off the record for <laughs> yeah. every other media publication. No, that is quite funny. Do you have a recommendation this week? I do. I have a particularly niche recommendation. Before I give my niche recommendation, I want to back up a recommendation you gave at least 12 months ago. Oh, yes. Mitch and I are binging Morning Wars. That is the Apple TV drama series with Jen Aniston, Reese Witherspoon and our boy, Annabelle, Steve Carell. Steve, oh, my boy. <laughs> and he looks... He's a bad boy in this series, though. He's a bad boy, but he looks great. He, he looks, looks better good. than ever, I would say. Anyway... It's amazing. And I've got to say, if you have a partner that you struggle to watch things with or find stuff that you both enjoy, I would say Mitch is enjoying it even more than I am. We have binged nine episodes in three days and the episodes are an hour long. (laughs) They're long episodes. And it's good because season two is actually coming out in a couple of days now. So I'm so excited about that. I made the mistake because I watched that show alone and I was like, well, I had that awkward dance of like, do I go and watch season two by myself or do I say to Ollie, my partner, let's watch season one together so we can watch season two together. And I was kind (laughs) of hoping he would say, no, no, you go off and do your own thing. And now we have started season one and I'm so slow watching it with him that I'm going to be so slow watching season two. Oh my God, Mitch and I are going to be that dark horse that just overtakes you and finishes season two first. Anyway, that is a highbrow recommendation that I just wanted to back up and give my support to Zara, who always gives great recommendations on this show. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Now, my second recommendation is far more sugary and I'll be transparent with the listeners. I did not think this podcast would be for me. Like I looked at the promo material and I really didn't think there was going to be something in this show that I would really enjoy. I was wrong. I was recommended to listen to an episode of Where's Your Head At, which is a podcast by two former Love Island contestants, Matt and Anna. They have an episode called Breakups That Burn, where they basically just reveal all about their very, very public relationships. They were both in romantic relationships with other famous people for over a year. They reveal on this podcast exactly what went wrong, exactly what it's like being in a famous celebrity couple, what it's like coming off reality TV. And I've got to say, it is just a great way to de-stress and get your sugar hit if you need it today, which I think everyone will need it today. So you were recommended this podcast? I was recommended by someone on this podcast. Yeah, right. Okay, so this is another one of my recommendations. It wasn't me. (laughs) Yeah, Annabelle's like, what? No, this, I listened to this because, I don't know, I don't know how I stumbled on it. I think they came up on my TikTok feed and I watched Love Island season two. I watched Love Island season one as well, actually. Mm. And this was Anna and Josh who won the show. They won, didn't they? Yeah. And Anna talks all about their breakup. It is it's really good. And like just some of the details given, I'm like, ooh, I did not think we would go that candid and that honest, but we're going there and I appreciate it. So um, there you go. That's a good one. I also have a podcast recommendation this week that I have binged. I'm interested if you guys would be into it. I think you will be. It is called The Dropout. I don't know if you've seen it. Go straight to the top of the charts again. It is about Elizabeth Holmes. Do you remember Elizabeth Holmes? Um, actress? Actress. <laughs> actress? No. <That's> Katie Holmes. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Who's Elizabeth Holmes? Elizabeth Holmes started that company called Theranos that basically said the blood that, yes, testing company. She basically said that she could kind of like reconfigure healthcare 
in America and across the world by instead of having really intense blood tests for things with a prick of blood, Theranos could diagnose hundreds of different illnesses. Mm. Now, it came out a couple of years ago that the entire company was a fraud because the technology just simply didn't work. And so the whole thing fell over and now her and her 2IC are on trial as of like this week on criminal charges facing up to 20 years in prison. Is she Australian or is she American? No, she's very American. Oh, okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. The actress, actress, right? And and the Australian business person. (laughs) Anyway, so The Dropout is a podcast basically tracking Elizabeth's rise. It's six parts. It's really, really interesting because I'm like, how does something like this happen? Like how does a company with hundreds of employees for years gain media traction and money to build a product that just simply doesn't work Mm. it's really interesting I will say it gets really good about halfway through the second episode so stick with it (laughs) my favorite kind of recommendations (laughs) but they are also starting to cover the trial now so I'll start listening to that but I think if you want something that's very much in the zeitgeist at the moment this story is everywhere high and low recommendations for you all you're so welcome that is what we are good for Mish let's jump into the first segment of today's show we are obviously opening with the Met Gala because what else to do exactly right so a bit of a recap or a refresher for those who have forgotten the Met Gala is the nickname for the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Costume Institute Gala it is of course held in New York it is essentially the opening night or premiere for the annual fashion exhibit This was cancelled in 2020. The Met Gala did not go ahead because of COVID. This was kind of the massive return on Tuesday morning Australian time. The 2021 theme was American independence, more specifically American fashion. Yeah, pretty broad. Very broad. (laughs) I didn't really understand the theme, I'm not going to lie. I feel like most of the celebrities didn't particularly understand the theme (laughs) either. So it was just one great big costume fashion show. I mean, it has been two and a half years since we've had a Met Gala and I would say, hands down, this is the event that's the biggest in fashion across the year. So it's been a long time since we've had something to look at in Mm. this way. And it was interesting. I mean, there were some big names missing. There were some massive names missing. So we didn't get to see Beyonce, Zendaya, Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift, Ariana Grande. Kylie Jenner was supposed to apparently walk the red carpet but pulled out at the last minute because she wasn't feeling well. We know now, of course, that she is pregnant, so totally understandable. Very, very interesting to see some articles going around speculating as to why so many big names were missing. And I want to put this on the record. Some eyebrow raising here. (laughs) We're not entirely sure as to why those names I just mentioned were missing. There are others as well, like Dua Lipa, who weren't. Bella Hadid. Bella Hadid. Some people are speculating, were some celebrities not there this year because the COVID vaccine was mandatory? If you wanted to come, you had to be vaccinated. And we saw a culled down list to what we are typically used to. So I'm not casting aspersions on those particular (laughs) names. I will say that Bella Hadid and Dua Lipa are in the periphery of someone who is a known anti-vaxxer. So I find that to be interesting. Anwar Anwar Hadid, the boyfriend of Dua Lipa and the brother of Bella, has said he will not be getting the COVID vaccine. I'm pretty sure his quotes a couple of months ago were... God does its thing with your body and the body heals more than you realise. Mm. I did not know that. Yeah, I was quite disappointed when I read that too. But it is it is really interesting. I mean, we know that the vaccine was mandated this year, so there had to be a handful of celebrities, we don't know who, mm. that just simply wouldn't have got it. I mean, who was there though? Who were our 
our vaxxed celebs. <laughs> we did have a lot of A-listers still. So Benifer, obviously J-Lo and Ben Affleck walked the red carpet with a cowboy-inspired look. Rihanna and ASAP Rocky made their debut as a couple. We had Serena Williams. Billie Eilish paid tribute to Marilyn Monroe, Kim Kardashian, Justin and Hailey Bieber, like heaps of A-listers still. Who were your standouts? My favourite, and I'm curious to hear who your favourites were, guys. My absolute favourite was Kendall Jenner. Some people said that her rocking up in that very skin-tight, naked, but jeweled dress was a little bit expected. I actually disagreed. My jaw dropped when I first saw Kendall Jenner walk out. I thought she looked stunning. She was paying tribute to Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady, and I just feel like she nailed it. Yeah, I think it was probably expected. Like, Kendall Jenner doesn't really go too out there, maybe apart from the 2019 Met Gala. Mm. But I thought it was beautiful. Like, I thought it was incredible. I really liked Lord's outfit. Like, I thought that was like a standout for me. I think the thing about the Met Gala, right, is what you love is very dependent on what you expect from the Met Gala. And for me, this is like a big costume party. And so maybe Kendall is my exception to the rule, but I think the more ridiculous, the better, (laughs) because you never ever have an opportunity to see people dressed in this way. And it is such an exercise in creativity. And for that reason, Justin and Hayley Bieber should be banned from the the red (laughs) carpet going forward. I agree with that. Annabelle, do you have any standouts? I loved Troye Sivan. Yes. I kind of agree with the Kendall Jenner naysayers. I didn't really love her outfit. It reminded me a lot of one of her past outfits fits where she wore a really tight like bedazzled Mm. situation if you had shown me that being like this is one of her old outfits I would have been like okay (laughs) well if the listeners were the fourth person on this podcast right now they would be telling us their favorite was Lil Nas X we polled everyone we had the little slidey things for people to tell us how much they loved or did not love certain looks Lil Nas X was by far the most adored look of the night followed by Kendall Jenner according to our listeners their least favorite unsurprisingly was was one Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Let's talk about that. For those who haven't seen what Kim Kardashian wore, <laughs> because you probably didn't realise it was Kim Kardashian, the 40-year-old hid her face and her body entirely. So she rocked up in this full black bodysuit, right? Yeah. So the only thing we could see of Kim Kardashian that was actually her own was a massive ponytail, which obviously had like a million different extensions put through it. That was the only part of herself we actually caught a glimpse of. Her entire face was covered. Her entire body was covered. We did not see a peep of skin. What I found really interesting about this is there was a really good TikTok that was going fairly viral last night and I really, really wish I had the user's name. I'll find it in the next sort of day or two and make sure we put it on Instagram. But someone made a really good argument that Kim Kardashian was perhaps understanding the assignment more than anyone because if we're talking about a theme that's sort of American fashion, Kim Kardashian basically is celebrity Mm. in America. Like she is the entire culture of celebrity. And by wearing this full black bodysuit, she was covering every part of her. You couldn't see any part of her and yet you knew Mm. it was her. And it's like that is fashion, American fashion for Kim Kardashian because you can't see any part of her and yet you know it's her. I love that explanation, but I still... Fucking hate it. I'm so sorry. Like, if I have to think this hard about it to like it or to appreciate it, I just don't like it. I think it is such a wank. And I refuse. I love it. I refuse to sit here and be like, it's the art. Like, no, it's fucking stupid. It's a costume, 
gala. I just said before it is a costume gala. The more ridiculous, the better. You want that? Go to the Oscars. Hang on. I don't agree with you, though. You think it's a co- Yes, it's, it's a costume oh, gala and ridiculous is better. <laughs> Hold on. Watch Michelle Digger and Graveyard. But I did not like the horse dress. I did not like Kim Kardashian's. Like, yes, be ridiculous. Be Lil Nas X and rock up in three different gold-plated outfits. Rock up in the biggest cape you've ever seen. Be ASAP Rocky and wear your nan's doona for all I care. I'm not going to get behind someone wearing an all-black bodysuit and think it's the art. Like, it's everyone who doesn't get it doesn't get no, art. It's such a wank. I don't. I think it's the opposite of the, a wank. I think it's all very tongue-in-cheek. Oh. It's, that's, the, that's the beauty of this event. If you want serious, go to Golden Globes and go to the Oscars. But I think that is the beauty of this. I really think it's the opposite of a wank. So you think Kim Kardashian is having a joke? Yes, Absolutely. Mm. I also don't think it's Kim Kardashian under there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like she had a body double. There were some great memes around as well. She was like, at home like eating two-minute noodles. Yeah, that, they were the great memes around about it. So let's talk about what actually happens inside this Met Gala, right? Because Vogue reports usually about 600 people go to this event. And according to the cut in 2019, tickets reportedly cost about $35,000 per person. So brands and companies like Apple can buy the full table and that can cost between $200,000 and $300,000. But Anna Wintour, as we know, has to give the final word, has to tick off every single person walking into this event. And what I love is that no one knows ever what happens inside No. So in 2018, Vanessa Friedman wrote for the New York Times, it's a secret. For the last three years, posting on social media has been banned after the red carpet. What I can tell you is this. There is a receiving line inside with the hosts and guests have to file by and air kiss them. Then guests tour the exhibition on their way to the cocktail party. So they are theoretically forced to experience some culture. After cocktails, they are called into dinner and there is always some form of entertainment. Exactly. Now, I found some really interesting tweets from Zara Rahim, who is the former director of communications at Vogue. And she was sort of having a bit of a running commentary of the event on her Twitter feed as someone who was very much part of the old organisation of the event, very much part of, you know, the night itself. And she wrote, my favourite thing to remind people about the Met is that it's a truly awkward event for celebrities because it's the one night you don't have an automatic plus one or your publicist there for, and it's extremely first day of school energy. (laughs) And many of these people have zero social skills. I have watched so many awkward interactions. I wish I could bleach out of my brain. There is no televised event or award show on the other side, just dinner and vibes. (laughs) I mean, that does stress me out a little bit because most of these people, the majority of these people do not have plus ones. So people like Emma Chamberlain, who is the YouTuber, one of the first YouTubers to be invited to the event, is walking in there with no one really from her industry and no publicist and no friend and no partner. It is so terrifying. And like they stagger the red carpet too. So each celebrity gets a time that they have to be walking the red carpet. So they don't have this rush of celebrities and you can't get photos and there's no space up the steps and all that type of stuff. It would be so awkward to be one of the first celebrities given a time slot. You walk, you get inside, there's an exhibition, and then what? You have to fill like five hours of time because the red carpet went from 
7.30 in the morning our time till about 11.30. So four hours of celebrities walking the red carpet. <laughs> so much time. It reminds me of like the first episode of Big Brother when someone gets let into the house <laughs> yeah. and then just sort of sits there waiting. They're like, hello? <laughs> yeah, waiting for everybody else to file in. And the whole country is just watching them walk around and be like, mmm, cereal. <laughs> Another tweet from Zara that I really enjoyed as well is she said, just noting some of these celebrities, especially the newbies and first timers, read your tweets when they get inside and for some it dictates their entire night. Oh. Which speaks a lot to how much time they have to kill inside while they're waiting for the red carpet to finish. Yeah, they're seeing all the commentary about their outfit in real time as it plays out. Now, the commentary around one outfit in particular, Zara, was quite interesting. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez attended the Met Gala for the first time. If you are not familiar with that name, she is an American politician. She wore a dress designed by Aurora James and it was emblazoned with the message, tax the rich. Now, my gut reaction to this as an AOC fan was quite an interesting one in that it just didn't land for me. Like I saw this dress and I instantly went, huh? Like how can you wear a dress that makes a comment around capitalism or socialism and taxing the rich? when you are at an event rubbing shoulders with the social and economic elite, like you are at an incredibly privileged event that costs $35,000 at least for your ticket, is this a time to make a comment about class? Well, this is what I found really interesting because yesterday I was on the same page as you. I was like, I'm trying to get my head around this. Like what would AOC have been thinking when she made the decision to go? Because AOC is like a smart operator and she would have sat in her office with her staff and they would have gone through all the pros and cons. And there was a really interesting piece in the cut by Samita Mukhopadhyay who said, there is no question that there is a cringe factor when anyone makes a political statement on the red carpet, especially especially at an event that relies on a certain amount of fantasy and spectacle. And there is certainly plenty to critique about the dress itself. While a flattering silhouette, it wasn't particularly unique and the font on the dress could have looked less like a fast food chains. Agree with that. <laughs> but the idea that a politician shouldn't attend a fundraiser for an institution in her own town and take advantage of a huge media opportunity to spread a message seems much more like a complicated proposition. Now, the writer of this piece also went on to quote, AOC's justification for going, knowing full well that people would be like, what are you doing? And AOC wrote, and yes, before anyone starts wilding out, New York City elected officials are regularly invited to and attend the Met due to our responsibilities in overseeing our city's cultural institutions that serve the public. I was one of several in attendance. Dress is borrowed. I actually have kind of come a, a fair way since then. I mean, I do find the whole like political statement on the red carpet a little bit eye roll. But beyond that, I'm just like, I don't think it's ridiculous for a New York elected official to be going to this. There were multiple there that night. People do tend to kind of take shots at her when they don't take shots at many other people. And I'm like, you know what? She kind of got what she wanted. Like mm. we are talking about her dress. We are talking about taxing the rich. A lot of people are in the context of having a lot of rich people there. I'm like, it's not the end of the world. I don't think I have an issue with her being there. I think I have an issue with her being there and trying to make a point that is very, very incongruous with the event that she's decided to attend herself. Like she's more than welcome to go, but trying to comment on 
class divides while you are at the richest event in the world just really, really doesn't sit right with me. Love her, but I think this was a misstep. What do you think, Annabelle? I kind of love the idea of the celebrities who were there looking at her dress, feeling uncomfortable and being like, oh, I'm the rich. There is something (laughs) about that, that it's like maybe it wasn't, I don't think it was intended for us the more that I think about it. It was absolutely intended for the mood. And it's like, ah, that is a bit, uh, because what are they going to do? Go up and say, I love your dress. (laughs) Like there's not much they can do. It's just a really interesting kind of, conundrum I think and I mean as I said at the very least we're all talking about it the best news about the Met Gala of course is that we do not have to wait very long for the next one they are going back to the first Monday in May next year so what is that uh oh no, I can't do this math <laughs> uh oh <laughs> months maths is the worst kind of math months maths and to be honest time maths <laughs> any form of like hour time if there is a clock or a calendar involved fuck no <laughs> look about nine or ten months less than a year <laughs> Coming up after the break, quite the Hollywood love triangle has emerged. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Zara, like most makeup fans, we are pretty picky when it comes to our foundation, aren't we? We sure are, Mish. Anyone who wears foundation knows it is super important to absolutely love the products you use. And I've got to say, Maybelline New York's foundation range has been a go-to for me in the last couple of years. They have a foundation for all skin types and coverages. The Fit Me Dewy and Smooth specifically makes my dryish skin look radiant and glowy all day long. I love that the Maybelline Fit Me foundation caters for both skin types too. I personally use the Fit Me Madame Paulus because it's a godsend for my oily T-zone. The natural matte finish manages to blur my pores and stop any shine without drying out the skin. Also, when I'm wanting a bit of a skin pick-me-up without the commitment of a foundation, I actually love popping on the Fit Me Tinted Moisturiser for a supernatural look. I actually am wearing that one right now. Team, if I am ever looking for a foundation that will last a little bit longer too, the Maybelline Superstay Active Wear Foundation has also been great. It is another foundation in the range that provides a super full coverage 36-hour wear Perfect for those looks or nights you want to last. Maybelline New York's Fit Me Foundation range is dermatologically tested, so it's great for sensitive skin. Make sure you test out their Fit Me Tint for light coverage, their Fit Me Foundation for medium coverage, or the Superstay Foundation for full coverage. Thank you so much to Maybelline New York and their Fit Me Foundation for making this episode of Shameless possible. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara, poo jogger, McDonald. <laughs> what have you got for me? That's not good. My first story, the voice fans fume over fake finale. What an anticlimax. <laughs> that is from Yahoo. Now, if you're a voice fan... You would have known, of course, that the finale aired on Sunday. Bella Taylor-Smith was crowned the winner of The Voice 2021 and she took home $100,000 prize money, Mish, and a recording contract. Yeah, I actually got really into The Voice for the last two episodes. I was recommended to watch The Voice by my future parents-in-law and they love it and were raving about it. And I was like, oh, whatever, I've got nothing else to do in lockdown. I'll chuck it on. This was actually a great season. I understand why this smashed it in the ratings now because it was so well produced and was a really expensive production from Channel 7. I have to agree with you because I didn't watch full episodes, but I definitely caught snippets. And the snippets that I watched of the performances were really well done, yeah. like full stage set up. And yes. I was like, wow, this is incredible. Now, 
fans weren't happy and they definitely made that known because they said that the finale celebrations looked really, really fake because they were pre-recorded. Now, of course, as you can imagine, in the middle of a pandemic, four different finale outcomes were pre-recorded. So when it came to The Voice itself and the winner of The Voice, fans were voting for the winner, but the contestants themselves didn't know who won until the night that it was announced on TV. At the time that this was all recorded, they did the whole woo, I won. And then it's like, woo, the next person won. That would suck. It was really weird to watch. Like sitting at home watching it, I was like, this person doesn't think they've won. Like the celebrations look so manufactured and odd. And you also know that now because Bella Taylor Smith then released a TikTok of her actually realising she won. So she was watching at home and all of the contestants found out whether they had won or not by watching the show and what finale version they played made for an odd feeling. What confuses me though, genuinely, is like this is a very common thing in reality TV and has been for years. Mm. Like I feel like the audience are a bit tough because of course they would have had to have done this in a COVID-19 pandemic, but also not realising that this has been done in some of their favourite reality shows in the past. I'm pretty sure MasterChef have done this before and we know absolutely that My Kitchen Rules did it for like five years in a row. There was a 2016 article from news.com that said Seven has employed the practice for the past five series of My Kitchen Rules ever since Lee and Jennifer took home the crown in 2012. Prior to this, only one ending was filmed and the network relied upon confidentiality agreements to prevent the series being leaked. What I think the difference is with this is they had to film four different outcomes and I reckon by the fourth (laughs) one, every contestant was like, fuck this. Like, I have done this four times, had the streamers come down from the sky, like... When you do it that many times over, you're probably a little bit exhausted. Every other show, I think, just has to film two Two. different outcomes. Yeah, no, you might be right. But, God, (laughs) tough audience producing TV for in a pandemic. I feel quite bad for the voice producers. My second story, Britney Spears engaged to boyfriend Sam Asghari. That is from The Guardian. Yeah, so, guys, big news out of Camp Britney this week. She is officially engaged to her partner. They've been together since 2016 when she actually met Sam Asghari on the set of her Slumber Party music video. For those who are unacquainted, Sam is a 27-year-old personal trainer and model. He is 12 years Britney's junior. Britney is 39. He proposed to Britney with a very, very big diamond. Apparently, according to The Guardian, it had a word engraved on the band, which was lioness. Yeah, so... It comes after just days after Britney's father, Jamie, filed to end the court conservatorship that has controlled basically every facet of Britney's life for 13 years, as we know. Now, we also knew from Britney's impassioned plea to end the conservatorship in June that among the many things that she can't do, marriage was one of them. Yeah, so she can only get married with the approval of her conservators. So now that the conservatorship is hopefully ending or it's changing, she will actually be able to make decisions like this for herself. Interestingly, the response to this was obviously jubilant and really excited for Brittany. I mean, it's really a deviation to see her have any control over her life or be able to do something exciting like this. So a lot of people were really happy for her. There was an undercurrent though, I think, of maybe slight concern, like just maybe worry that she would be getting herself into a situation with someone with maybe ill intentions. Octavia Spencer, very famous actress, 
left a comment on her Instagram post that said very simply, make him sign a prenup. And that got tens of thousands of likes. Yeah, even more interestingly, Sam Asghari responded to that comment himself just with the emoji 100. (laughs) (laughs) At least he's on board. Yeah, so this will be Britney's third time walking down the aisle. She married childhood friend Jason Alexander in 2004 in Las Vegas. That marriage only lasted a few days. Later that year, she married Kevin Federline, of course, who we know, the father of her two children. That marriage ended in 2007. So it's been a while. It's been a while. And randomly, she has deleted her Instagram account. At the time of recording, I've just seen a headline about this, that she has vanished off Instagram. So maybe again, that's another step that she's able to take for herself and make for her life because of the conservatorship terms changing. Like, Is she removing herself from social media because she desires privacy a little bit and doesn't have people forcing her to be this public person anymore? Yeah, my third story. Georgia Love pulled from on-air role at Channel 7, dumped as Chadston shopping ambassador. That is from news.com. Now, these updates came out after we had recorded last week. Of course, as we recapped last week, Georgia Love did post both a racist video on her Instagram account and old racist memes that she had posted were uncovered as well. Chadston went first in dropping her. They released a statement saying, we were disappointed by a social media post this week by one of our friends of the Chadston brand. And as a result, we issued notice to end our contract with Georgia. Now, after Chadston went, Channel 7 released a statement of their own, but this took a few days, Mish, didn't it? Yeah, it did. They said, we have addressed this matter internally and disciplinary action has been taken. Seven does not condone this inappropriate conduct and all of our staff have the right to work in a safe, nurturing workplace free from prejudice. So what has happened at Channel 7 is there are some kind of false reports floating around that Georgia Love has been sacked from her Seven News job. That is incorrect. She has been moved off the on team. So she's not doing on-air reporting. She's been moved to the production desk. So she's essentially behind the scenes. Yeah, she's a TV producer. So she's producing the stories you'd see on your television. Channel 7 also said that she's been counselled by the network and did issue an apology to her colleagues in an email sent to staff. It's sparking a really interesting conversation for Channel 7 now. It's like, okay, so you want to take action as you should on this employee. What about the others on your books that have done some pretty dodgy things? Because we've talked about Wayne Carey for a long time on this program and he's still on primetime television after allegedly abusing other women. And Sonia Kruger host of The The Voice, Voice. among other high-profile TV shows, has made some disgusting comments about Muslim Australians before. So is anything going to be done about that? If not, is this the new standard now? Is this kind of, I'm going to say it again, a line in the sand to say from this point forward you cannot say these things, your job will be in jeopardy? That's a good move, but it's just interesting to see that happen when they have people in their stables who have had this behaviour and exhibited this behaviour for decades. Yeah, well, then it also poses the question of when these people are the face of their own TV show, like Sonia Kruger in The Voice or Wayne Carey as one of the faces of the football coverage, do the same rules apply? Mm. My fourth story, people are sus on Kaylee Cuoco and Pete Davidson and the rumour mill is in fucking overdrive. That is from Pedestrian. Another top-up story on something we covered last week. So if you listen to that episode, you would know that in The Quick and Dirty, I fought for this story to be included because Kaylee Kiwoko of Big Bang Theory fame announced that she was divorcing her billionaire heir husband, Carl Cook. Now sources close to the couple remarked how sudden this seemed. 
the last time they had been around Kaylee and Carl, they were madly in love. All of a sudden they're splitting up and perhaps there was something awry. Yes, and now we've got these pretty juicy reports that could reveal that there is a bit of like a love square going on, Mm. if that's what we want to call it. So Kaylee Kuoko has just finished filming her upcoming movie, Meet Cute. (laughs) You don't like that, do you? (laughs) She winced as that came out of her mouth. I saw it coming up in my notes and I was like... God. (laughs) Alongside Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson, of course, is a very successful stand-up comic, has done a bunch of good work with SNL and was once engaged for a very hot second to Ariana Grande. Thank you, next. (laughs) What a moment in pop culture that was. I kind of miss the Pete Davidson, Ariana Grande years. Anyway, so they're in this movie together. It's about to be released on Netflix, I believe. They play love interests. There were whispers on set that there was a lot of chemistry between between these two, they were getting along quite well. Now, Pete Davidson split from his girlfriend, who is Bridgerton's Daphne. Do we remember blonde? Yeah. Daphne from Bridgerton. Her real name is Phoebe Diviner. They just split on August 21. The Kaylee Kuoko Carl Cook divorce was just announced two weeks later on September 3. And now people are talking to tabloids like The Sun saying the actor's chemistry is palpable. Do we think there's anything going on here? Absolutely. <laughs> I do bad? too. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say absolutely not. And I was like, don't ruin. I genuinely think oh, this could be I mean, thing. it absolutely could be a coincidence, but I am bored in my life <laughs> at the moment and I would prefer to assume that there is something going on. I'll believe everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's been like the Conspiracy one. Conspiracy theorists come here. <laughs> my fifth story, Megan Fox's sparkly butt deserves more. That is from the cut. Honestly, if we spend more than two minutes on this story, I'm sacking myself. I think we both resent this story deeply. I hate, I hate this, this story. <laughs> I hate this story, but we've got to do it. Now, in case you missed it, Machine Gun Kelly and Conor McGregor got into the most staged fight on the VMA's red carpet. But everyone's talking about it, so now we do too. If you don't know who Machine Gun Kelly is, he is a rapper and songwriter. He is pretty punky, punky. <laughs> Punky. <laughs> Clearly you're not punky. Yeah. Why are you stuck on the word punky? I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> like what else is like another way to say punky? He has that. He's edgy. He's that edgy skinny boy look. Yeah, exactly. Now he is with Megan Fox and everyone was talking about Megan Fox on the VMA's red carpet because she arrived in this like epic naked dress. It was almost this completely sheer slip over a jeweled thong. Yeah, we love that for Megan Fox. I would wear that if I was Megan Fox as well. So this altercation happened when they were both on the red carpet at the VMAs. If you listen to TMZ, it all happened because Conor McGregor wanted a photo with Machine Gun Kelly. He said no. Machine Gun Kelly spilled half of Conor McGregor's drink and then Conor McGregor threw the drink onto the couple and that's where the scuffle took place. Yeah, and also we probably should have said that Conor McGregor is a UFC star. <laughs> like, I guess. Why is Machine Gun Kelly trying to get into a fight with Conor McGregor? Because he they would a death wish. They would have texted about this beforehand and their publicists <laughs> would have set it up. McGregor said that he doesn't even know the guy and then he went on to call Machine Gun Kelly a vanilla boy rapper and said he only fights real fighters and I think that's all for that story. <laughs> Can I add one little tidbit? Just one tidbit. My favourite part of this was they were trying to look all hot shit and tough boys. McGregor was donned in a hot pink suit while Machine Gun Kelly wore a bedazzled full body red sequin outfit. So you're so, telling me they didn't want to be spotted <laughs> while they were doing this bloody... Bright red and bright pink. Honestly, they even costumed it up. 
<laughs> that is all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, next bitch. Well, 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 quite the Hollywood love triangle scandal has emerged. In the space of just a few months, much-adored American stand-up comic John Mulaney has left his wife of six years and started up a relationship with A-list actress Olivia Munn. That was already big enough news, okay? But then paparazzi photos were published of Olivia Munn doing her grocery shopping and a fresh revelation emerged. Olivia Munn and John Mulaney aren't just together, they are pregnant. Now, timelines looking rather blurry and everyone is scratching their heads. So what the hell is going on? Who the hell is John Mulaney and why the hell do people care so very much? Right, that is the big question. Annabelle, are you a John Mulaney fan? <laughs> she yeah, yes. me. I knew it. <laughs> That's all people need to know about John Mulaney. <laughs> Huge. He used to be like one of my favourite comedians. How, of course. Of course. Okay, so that sets it up a little bit. Now, John Mulaney is a 39-year-old comedian who is really well known for his work on SNL and his stand-up routines. He has multiple stand-up routines on Netflix. And I will give it to you. They are quite funny, Annabelle. If Thank you. you. <laughs> not, it's like you cracked the jokes yourself. You're not John Mulaney's mum. <laughs> we appreciate the compliment. <laughs> now, if I was to sum up John Mulaney to someone who had never heard of him before, in one of his stand-up routines on Netflix, he opens his whole piece by saying, I've never been in a fight before, though maybe you could tell that from the first moment I walked on stage. He very much leans into this sort of, ooh, I'm a bit dweeby. I would get smashed in a fight. He is almost always in a suit as well, which I do feel like is a relevant fact. Yeah, I actually think he'll appeal to a lot of Australian listeners because he's very, very self-deprecating, which is refreshing for American humour, I would say. Like we don't often see American comedians get up and be like, man, I'm weak. Like I fucking suck. (laughs) It's really likeable though. And he has this shtick of being a nerd whilst also being a reformed drug addict, which kind of gives his brand a little bit of edge. He has been very open with his history of beginning drinking alcohol at the age of 13 and has said that by the age of 23, he was in recovery and in rehab for drugs and alcohol. Last year, The New Yorker did a profile piece on John Mulaney where they referenced him as having the reputation of, and I quote, America's most wholesome comedian. In that same piece, it was repeatedly mentioned that John Mulaney never wanted kids of his own, was very happily married to his wife, Anna, of six years, and that they together did not want children. This was pressed in the piece where he said, no, we don't want kids unless I have a tremendous mental shift. Yeah, so that's the picture of John Mulaney, this sort of weedy, kind of nerdy guy, always in a suit, really America's most wholesome comedian. I think that is just so bang on, that sort of description of him from The New Yorker. And loves his wife, repeatedly mentions his wife in his jokes. It's really hard actually to go back and watch his old stand-up when he's talking about, not that it's literally any of my business, but (laughs) watching him talk about his wife when you know what has since happened. Now, this brings us to a relatively eventful last few months. In May, news broke that John Mulaney was splitting from his wife of six years, the artist Anna-Marie Tendler. And people were really interested in this. As I said, I think because he's shared so much of their marriage and their love story through his comedy, he had spent much of the back end of 2020 in rehab. And so once he was out, it was reported that he did ask Tendler for a divorce. What I think is the other factor in this story that makes people care so much, and to be honest, there's like a hundred different factors, (laughs) but this wasn't the typical we love each other more than ever kind of statement. It wasn't even a 
joint statement. No. Anna Marie Tendler released her own statement about the divorce when it became public in May. And she said, I am heartbroken that John has decided to end our marriage. I wish him support and success as he continues his recovery. Yeah, they've been very open about the fact that this was a one-sided split. Anna did not want to get a divorce. She very much wanted to work on her marriage. And she's not just telling the public that in statements. She's also telling us that over on her Instagram profile. As an artist, she has been publishing photographs, very artistic, beautiful photographs of her almost grieving this marriage. At least that is the meaning a lot of people are deriving from the images. On Instagram, she has posted one photo called Dinner in March, where she's sitting alone at a dining table and it very much screams wife who has been left behind. Absolutely. Now, three days after that divorce announcement came out in May, we learned from both People Magazine and Page Six that John Mulaney actually had a new girlfriend and it was the actress Olivia Munn. Now, three days is just like such a short amount of time for this story to break. These news publications must have been holding on to this story. And I don't know why they would do that for John Mulaney. I'm just Mm. wondering what the exchange is here and why they would hold this story for a couple of days, let him announce his divorce. But whatever happened, we found out very soon after that he had a new partner. Yeah. And the timeline felt quick, right? Like you're seeing this wholesome, beloved comedian who has constantly told us all about his long-term wife, all of a sudden now be photographed with a very, very famous model-esque woman. Like it's a bit of whiplash. Yeah, and the timeline certainly did feel quick and I think that's very much what the mood was Mm -hmm. in May, that, oh, that's a bit quick and poor Anna-Marie, but that was kind of it. We kind of settled and the story passed until last week when John Mulaney went on Seth Meyers and said that Olivia was pregnant with his baby. Yeah. So he had to address this because paparazzi photos were being published of Olivia doing daily errands. And according to those photographs, she clearly is pregnant. So naturally people in their heads started adding up, okay, We only found out about this relationship in May. The marriage, apparently, only really ended in May. Yet we have a clearly pregnant woman in September. What the hell is the timeline here? Month maths. That's what people started to do. Get out your calendar. Get out your clock. We're doing some month maths. (laughs) And it might not be fair to Anna-Marie Tendler and Olivia Munn and John Mulaney, but that is naturally how people are going to respond to a story like this. And what's really interesting is John Mulaney absolutely knew when he went on Seth Meyers last week that that's exactly what people were doing because... He walks onto this set. Have you watched the interview, yeah. Val? It's so awkward. <laughs> it is. It's, it's so awkward because so... there's no live audience either. So it's just like a cameraman kind of chuckling. And he's a bit awkward too. I would say John Mulaney is quite awkward when he's doing this. And he basically walks straight onto the set, sits in his seat. Seth Meyers said, you've had a big year. And he says, yes, and basically launches straight into... I went to rehab in September. I got out in October. I moved out of home from my ex-wife. Then he went on and said, then I continued using drugs. You and some other friends staged an intervention, as you recall. Then in the spring, I went to Los Angeles and met and started to date a wonderful woman named Olivia, Olivia Munn. And it's like, if you have to, dare I say, be that specific about the months with which you're making decisions in your own life something weird's going on. Yeah, Yeah, it is strange. I haven't seen many celebrities sit down and be like, 
Glad you asked me that, Seth. <laughs> Here's a month-by-month month replay of literally when everything happened. Now, a News.com article was published about this that I found really interesting. They spoke to a celebrity agent who has had ties to Olivia Munn in the past, but who only spoke on the condition of anonymity. And they said, I don't think it's any coincidence that John broke the news of Olivia's pregnancy the way he did in terms of basically giving a timeline of his last few months. When he moved out of his house, how it was in the spring and when he fell in love with Olivia. It seems to me that he is going to great lengths to dispute the idea that he cheated. And I think what we'll get to in a little bit is people are like, oh my God, how is it our business? And it's like, it's not really, but there are a lot of really natural human responses to hearing and seeing a story like this. And one of them for me is, and I have no idea whether John Mulaney cheated or not. Like we have no idea. But what's really interesting is when I was watching his stand up yesterday, Mish, and I sent you this clip of a stand-up routine that he did in 2015 and he was talking about how his ex-partner cheated on him and it made him want to die. And you hear something like that and then you hear a story like that and you can absolutely understand why fans are like, hang on a second, you sold me this narrative Mm. for a very long time and now you're part of a story like this. I feel a little bit confused. Yeah, I also just call bullshit on people who are saying it's not our business. Comedians build their followings and build their careers off the back of fans buying into their lives. They, especially observational comedians, sell us their lives and sell us their personas. It is not a surprise that people feel cheated when there is potentially a trick mirror going on. I just flatly refuse to feel bad about caring about this. I'm so sorry. Can we talk about the awkward dimension in this story before we get to more analysis? Throw it to me. So people have started to dig up old interviews in an attempt to figure out when Olivia Munn and John Mulaney really crossed paths. They have kind of fed us this story that they met at a church in Los Angeles and had this very wholesome connection at church. But really, we now know from going back through the archives, they met at Seth Meyers' wedding years years ago, ago. years and years ago. Now, even more awkwardly, Olivia Munn gave this quote to HuffPost in 2015 about meeting John at that wedding. She said, we were at a wedding together and I was like, oh my gosh, do you and your fiance want to go have dinner or something and go hang out? At first it was cool. And then I kept going up to him at the wedding, like, so you having fun? I was just so obsessed with hanging out with him and talking with him. She added that she then got his email to contact him and sent him an email, but he never replied to which he said, I might've got the wrong email. Probably that's what I tell myself. Now I want to be clear. This is not slut shaming Olivia. Olivia Munn. Like nah. Olivia Munn is more than welcome to date, sleep, have a relationship with whoever she wants. That is just a very, very awkward quote to have on the record in a story like this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't pay to be a celebrity in times like this when your quotes <laughs> are literally there in like a weird historical archive. I mean, this news generated so much anger and despair online that it really did expose this intense parasocial relationship that particularly women, I would say, have with John Mulaney. So much so that Slate ended up writing an article with the headline, John Mulaney doesn't owe you squat, which very much hints that the mood was not positive about this story either. No one's going to sit here. I'm certainly not going to sit here and say the machinations of someone's personal relationships necessarily matter. Like, I don't think we can say that. But I do definitely think it matters why people have responded in this way. And I do definitely think it's worth unpacking why so many people have reacted viscerally to this. I mean, 
I think there has to be a few reasons why, Mish. Mm, I think some of it definitely boils down to the fact that women are so tired of seeing this cliche, like so tired of seeing the loving wife support someone, support a man as he rises to new profound levels of fame, only to be discarded. Like, I think we are tired of seeing that. It's a really complicated conversation, right? Because you have to say on one hand, well, these are individual circumstances with their individual contexts and you don't know why relationships end and new ones start. But then on the other hand, you say, well, okay, that's fine, but you also have pattern after pattern Mm. after pattern and, like, what do you do about that while equally acknowledging that these are individual people with individual circumstances? I think there just has to be something hugely in the nice guy shtick here. Like, I think we are desperate, honestly, to believe that nice guys are nice guys, that the people who pretend to be, I don't know, our allies, quote-unquote, that might be a terrible way of putting it, are exactly who they promise to be, that they will be monogamous if that's what they promise, that they won't surprise us. I actually think it's a predictability thing. I think it's like we want to know that you are going to be who you say you are. And that's not John Mulaney's fault, but I don't think it's our fault either for being mad about it. Like I genuinely wonder, and this is a conversation I had with you yesterday, if the average straight woman has this like very subconscious insecurity, if not about themselves but about the women around them, that one day the world will tire of them and perhaps Mm. you don't know if a man that you're dating is just going to change. Like you don't know that. You don't know if the person you're dating can just one day surprise you. Like you literally cannot plan for that. And I think when you see patterns like this, you absolutely project yourself into that scenario and say, could this be me one day? Mm. Annabelle, how do you feel? Because I don't feel anger towards John Mulaney. I just feel like a massive eye roll. Like, oh my God, you are such a cliche. Yeah, I definitely like John Mulaney a little bit less like part of the reason why I liked him was because he always spoke about how much he adored Anna Marie and I was sold on as you say that like nice guy shtick where the man loves his woman no matter what and I was like that's great he's a great guy and now I'm like you lie (laughs) but that's exactly what Mish said before right it's like you're getting these people to pay for your work based on the image that you're putting out people are necessarily going to feel a little bit betrayed by that again people might come to us and say but we don't know that he's cheated and I think that's totally fair enough what we do have though and what is definitely worth going back is reading every statement that Anna Marie or sources close to Anna Marie have put out because she is very, very subtly trying to push against this narrative that it was all very, very clean cut. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. This will be a great one for your Save Friday. We can't wait to see where you guys stand. Are you angry? Are you rolling your eyes? Are you bored? Are, Are you, you bored? Because yeah. I think you also can be bored of this narrative too. Like it is equally infuriating and so boring at yeah. the same time. Be better, John Mulaney. <laughs> <sighs> guys, that is all we've got time for today. If you want to support the show, come follow us on TikTok, eh? Follow us on TikTok, eh? And I'm getting our <laughs> handle for you is at shameless underscore podcast. I hate that there's an underscore in there, guys, but someone else got shameless podcast before us. So follow us on TikTok at shameless underscore podcast. We post videos almost every day now, so you might be missing out on some fun TikTok content. Yeah, <laughs> you might be. <laughs> probably not, though. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. We'll be back in your ears on Monday for another episode of Scandal. Bye. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. 
Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.